Haunted Basement, the podcast, is brought to you by Haunted Basement, the production company. Haunted Basement is a full-service video production company that creates professional content for every budget to promote your business or brand. Our portfolio has a bunch of different videos, including branded content, social ads, music videos, documentaries, and uh, our credits include an editing role on a feature film. We are a sibling-run production company, and together we have over three decades of experience working in film, TV, digital media, and marketing. So if you need a video to promote your business or brand, reach out. Get in touch. Let's talk. We have a link to our website in the show notes below. And you can also find us on Instagram at underscore Haunted Basement underscore. All right, let's start the episode. We are back in the basement, and uh, what are we talking about in episode three, H? Well, guys, you know how I'm going to Venice Yes. tomorrow. I'm going there for two weeks for a solo trip. Well, I'm going there mostly because I've been really wanting to write a screenplay. Bub and I have been developing this idea for over a year now, and I'm like, I just want to go detach for a little bit from my routine and write this screenplay. And I have never written a screenplay before. I don't know what it's like. I don't know how hard it is. But I have a friend, Chris Nicastro, who has not only written a screenplay, but he made a movie. And I edited that movie back in 2019. So I thought it'd be a cool idea to get him on to talk about his experience. Now, before we get to Chris, why Venice? Yeah, same question. That's like a pretty far remote location. We're talking Venice in January, which... As I recall, is a bit bleak. And wait, wait. We're talking Venice, Italy, not California, correct? Venezia, Venezia, yeah, Italy. Ah, see, si, see, si, si. Okay, for a few reasons. Reason number one, I haven't been to Italy in over a decade. Ugh. And I feel like it's time to check in on the motherland, see how it's going. <laughs> number two, Venice. It's an impossible city. It's sinking into the ocean. It's either now or never in terms of visiting <laughs> Venice. But I think it had a few good years because of COVID. Yeah, there were dolphins swimming in the canals. Did you see the pictures? <laughs> there were dolphins? No, that, that was like, remember oh. in the, er, the early... <laughs> I was going to say, why were they there? No, there were. There were like animals taking back Venice along with other... Okay, but not cities. dolphins. In the early COVID days when everyone was experiencing high trauma, they just wanted to see cute nature in the city spaces. Remember that? And there's a lot of like yeah, photo. Of there are a lot of photoshopped photos back in that. that <laughs> there time. were Italian unicorns walking down <laughs> the alleyways of Venice, saying, "Hey, how's it going? How you doing? Good to be hey. back. Good to be back." Uh, wait, can we tell the story about Baba the first time we went to Venice as a yeah, family? Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> so we're on this little plane. I don't know. We probably went from Rome to Venice. I don't know what we did, but Baba, how old were you? I think I was 16. Yeah, you were still in high school. And so we're, you know, the the plane is at the gate. We're, we're all getting our bags out. It's taking a hot minute. And this guy in this, like, very nice suit, obviously, Italians nice wear very... purple purple suede suit. Purple suede, very tailored, very, very beautiful. Turns around and goes to Bubba. 
is this your first time here? And Baba was like, yeah, yeah. And he goes, oh, we will love you here. (laughs) (laughs) And that that was our intro to Venice, baby. That was the intro. Guys, the only thing I really remember about our days in Venice was watching European MTV in our little hotel room. We watched like German pop music videos. So good. They did MTV Italia. They actually played music videos. Granted, they played, they'd play like um, Queen and then Adele and then more Queen. They just love Queen. The Europeans <laughs> definitely have a different relationship to music than, than us Americans. Yeah. Oh, and one last thing about Venice. We missed Andrea Bocelli's free concert in we Piazza did. San Marco like by day. one day. Yeah. Ugh. What dopes? Like, ugh, whatever. there's this weird spooky energy there where you don't know what's going to be around every single corner and um having some idea of what you're trying to write i think that's going to be a good place to to get some inspo a little spooky absolutely trying to trying to write something a little spooky and i've been looking up um on atlas obscura which is my favorite go-to site for like off the beaten path things to do in cities Mm. i found something in venice called the flooded crypt of San Zachariah, which is Ooh, is exactly what it sounds. No. A flooded crypt oh. at the uh, bottom of a, a church. So I'll be checking that out. That's an O for me, dog. <laughs> I hope you get a, a beaked mask. Are you going to get a new mask? I would love to bring a Venetian mask back to uh, yeah. Brooklyn with me. One of the plague masks. That's how you could write. You could dip the nose in some ink and <laughs> scratch it against some parchment. Yeah. All right. Well, before I get to Venice, we got to have this conversation with my friend and filmmaker, Chris Nicastro. Woo! Let's go. Our guest today is a friend and collaborator. He's a writer, director, and commercial editor based in Brooklyn, New York. His first feature-length film, Six Weeks to Twelve Years, was released in December 2021 by Mutiny Pictures, Chris Nicastro, welcome to the basement. Hey, super, super happy to be here. Always wanted to be in the basement. (laughs) Perfect. So the topic of this episode is, so you want to make a movie. And we're going to sort of demystify the movie making process. And, you know, we'd love to hear what your process was like in making this film. For all the listeners who haven't yet seen the movie, could someone just give a quick synopsis so people know kind of what we're talking about? Yeah, no, it's just about two brothers um, and their dad dies and they have to go sell his house. And one of the brothers is sort of a clean cut, like makes a lot of money, kind of bougie, lives in New York, is an ad guy. And the other one's just sort of like a DIY kind of like quasi punk house show kind of guy and they have nothing in common and they just kind of can't stand each other on the entire trip hey Wyatt hey what why do you think mom didn't tell me about dad's funeral because she didn't like you what where did you originally get the idea from this movie every single thing I've ever written or made I've just started like with an image and then just kind of unravel from there and then so the image i had for six weeks was the image of two adult brothers wrestling on the beach in the water as though they were five years old and then so that was the first scene i ever wrote 
was just the argument leading up to the fight. Why are you like this to me, man? Like what? Why don't you care about anything, huh? Why don't you give a fuck? Wyatt, you hate everything. That's a, that's a stupid thing to say. Really, that's a stupid thing to say. Yeah, it just kind of unraveled from there. It was like, okay, well, why are they there in the first place? Why is this one mad at this one? Do you remember what year you got that original idea of brothers fighting in the ocean? Um, The image was probably like late. Well, shit, when did we shoot it? Did we shoot it in 2019? 2019. 2019. Then it was probably like late 2018 that I had the wow. like just the image in my head. And then like around spring, I wrote just that scene. And that scene, as it is in the movie, is largely the same as it was on the page that day that I just immediately started writing it, except for the fact that when we actually started shooting it and when Billy, who played the other brother and I played one of the brothers. When we started going at it, we started going way off script. It was very wordy, that scene. And I remember, AJ, you were actually on the side, basically ADing and like <laughs> script souping. Yeah. And uh, like calling out lines. And then it just got to the point where like, I don't know, we were both just really in it. And it was all just off the cuff at a certain point. What the hell is this, Colin? You want me to have some kind of spiritual experience? You want me to treat dad's death like a fucking magical quest catharsis? What do you want me to do? I want you to act like a fucking human. I am And that's a sociopath. That's all I'm asking for. Yeah, so it was just a lot of improv, that scene, even though I think tonally it very much didn't drift from how it was like the first day that I sat down to try and come up with what the movie even was. I'm always curious to know if a director especially writer director in watching their work back like does it feel very true to that to the original concept to the way that you had you know you imagined it yeah i think it still is very much how i thought it would be i wanted it to because when you make a movie with no money it's like okay well how do i make it appropriate aesthetically for having zero dollars to work with here and so we were basically just like, OK, everything's going to be like shaky cam. Everything's going to be handheld. It's going to only be available light with very few exceptions. So I knew from the start I was like, it's just going to be as raw and kind of like docu style as possible. The main reason why you have to shoot shaky cam with available light for people who don't really know film production is it takes a lot of time to set up lights and all this other, when you make big budget movies, it just takes a lot of time to like set up lights and, and wait for the perfect lighting. So when you have 10 days to shoot a movie, it's very much run and gun guerrilla style filmmaking. And that's what this movie was. Well, there was a day. Well, it was the day that we shot the fight scene, um, which is like near the end of the movie. And the way the weather was working was we were only going to have one sunny day left the entire week. And we wanted it to be a golden hour thing. So we had a bunch of bookending scenes that we needed to shoot all in the same, basically same golden hour. And AJ, your family came to visit the set that day. And so, yeah. <laughs> so I felt so bad because like, I wanted to like say hi to your mom and dad and introduce myself and stuff. But and they were they like brought cookies and stuff <laughs> and like oh, it was very God. sweet disrespect it was my very mom. sweet it was very sweet uh, they had never like, been to a film set before they were excited you needed the light. but and we 
and like meanwhile everybody it's like it's like me drew who shot it uh jack who was on sound and uh billy who was the other actor we were just like literally running from location to location just stealing whatever we could and yeah somehow we got it all done in that like matter of two hours mom and dad almost ruined it yeah. <laughs> they were just excited yeah. to be on the film oh is that oh why they goodness. got a special shout out i saw at the end like renee serrano and i was like why does she get a special because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> she made some damn good cookies yeah. <laughs> when you had when you had the original idea for this was it like this is a movie or was this a short film did you know right away that this was a movie that you wanted to make it, it was a movie from the start i mean i really only ever like wrote feature length things I, I never really i don't know i don't really have it in me to like write shorts like every time i try and write a short it just i i don't have it's it in me short. yeah it's like too short i'm like i don't like i don't know how to resolve this i'm, I'm just not good at it and then so it, just from the start i was like yeah this is part of a larger film and then i think before we even shot six weeks i think i must have written over the span of the two years before, like maybe five or six feature scripts that just only a couple people ever read. Putting in the work, putting in the 10,000 hours yeah. or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah, Amazing. yeah, you got to put in the 10,000 hours. <laughs> and uh, it was like I showed it, this one to Drew um, and he pretty much every time I'd ever written something before, was just very nice about mm-hmm. reading something. Your you friend know, wrote yeah, something. Was, oh, yeah. nice. Yeah. yeah. Oh, cool. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> and then it was like when I showed him that, he was like, oh, this is really good. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Maybe we should do this then. That's awesome. And this is Drew, Drew Lang. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 And has he been a creative collaborator of yours for a while? For now, as or? long as I've known him. Yeah. For as long as I've known him, which um, I met him. Same place that I met AJ. We worked together at a post house. Oh, Drew and Chris were just inseparable. They, it just seemed like when they met each other that they had known each other for like a decade. And everyone in the office is like, what is happening? These people, these two <laughs> yeah. are just yeah, meant to be. It, it's the kind of it's the kind of friendship where like when you start talking, other people around you have no idea what you're saying but you understand each other perfectly. It's turned into like he and I write things together now. Um, So like everything since six weeks has been like he and I have written it 50, 50. Well, that answers my question of what was it that, you know, the impetus to go forward with six weeks. And it sounds like it was someone recognizing, you know, the value in it. Yeah. Well, it was that. And just, I think even recognizing on my own, that I'd kind of found a voice that was my own. And it's like, as with anything else, any any other art, like so much of what you do when you first start is going to be imitation of the things that you like. And even in this, there's definitely still a lot of imitation of like, like anybody could look at this and be like, oh, this person watched Squid and the Whale too many times when he was younger. Um, and <laughs> um, so, I mean, there's a lot of imitation of guys like Bombach for sure in this. Um, but it was definitely a lot more personal and it definitely felt more personal when I was writing it. And it definitely felt mm-hmm. like it was coming from me rather than me trying to be someone else to the point where it kind of always felt like each of the characters were like two different halves of me. 
In fact, when Drew read it, he was like, this reads like you're yelling at yourself. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh my God, just That's working amazing. out your demons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Better yeah. than therapy. Just make a movie, you guys. Yeah. Right. <laughs> That's so cool. I was actually, one of my questions was, who do you relate to more, Colin, Wyatt, or I threw in a third, Chet. Chev? Chef was the last second inclusion. Chef was not in the original script. Colin, this is a uh, chef. He's the person who's going to be buying dad's house. What? What did you just say? You say Jeff? Chef. It's, it's like chef with a chef. I hate to be rude seeing this is the first time we're meeting. No worries, man. It's all vibes. So you wrote a bunch of different drafts. And then you get to a point where you're comfortable enough with the script to be like, okay, I'm ready to get financing for this. Did you feel that you were going to do the Kickstarter route the whole way? The only money we had was enough money to pay people who weren't our friends, basically. Because it was like everybody who was our friend like was there because they wanted to be there. And they were like, yeah, this sounds really fun. And it, it basically was like, AJ, you can attest to this. It you even pointed out you were like this feels like being at summer camp like summer we were all camp. just staying at a house in maine for a week and just like waking making up at 6 a.m making a movie and it, it it was like being at summer camp there was one point where actually you were like loading footage um from the night before yeah and you said something that made me pause which was like take it all in because you'll never make another one of these that's quite the same as this one mm-hmm and I've taken that to heart since because, yeah, again, like I'm working on getting a second one off the ground and it's going to have money behind it and it's going to have a much. Uh, there's going to be people I've never met before working on it. I'm like, wow. this is not going to be the same. Yeah, it's uh, you're going to have more money and it's not going to have that summer camp vibe. But hopefully the next film that you make is going to have that film making family that we established on this one, oh that's yeah, like, that's absolutely. the biggest hope that the people that you work yeah. with actually care and want to do their best work for you. I reached out to Chris during the um, the Kickstarter process of this film because Chris made like a little pitch reel, two minute, five minute pitch reel for this movie, and I watched it. And like the moment I was done watching it, I emailed you. I'm like, I must work on this movie. I will edit this movie. Do you have an editor? <laughs> So I, I edited this feature and it was definitely a learning process for me, but it was, uh, it was a fun thing to do. I really enjoyed it. I think there was, what, eight people total working on this film? Total, yeah, probably like eight, I think. Yeah. So, you know, everyone had to wear many hats and I AD'd, I right. script souped, I, you know, edited, AE, like when you work on you a movie this small, yeah. yeah, you have mm-hmm. to, you have, you learn the whole filmmaking process and you learn like oh you don't really need 200 people on set to make a movie Mm -hmm. you need 10 that's like the core but it's obviously much more efficient to to make something with 200 people on set but will it have the same sort of personal filmmaking feeling i don't know that's what that's you have to be a master to be able to do that Listen, you don't need those big sets or big crews when you have Renee Serrano doing craft <laughs> services. For an hour with her cooking. Somebody messing up your scenes. Yeah. Uh, going back to what Ashley was saying about your roles, Chris, writer, director, and lead actor in mm-hmm. this. You have three pieces of evidence there that this is like such a personal mm-hmm. document and yeah. that you're pulling a lot from your personal experiences and putting them in this feature. Are there any other 
kind of nuggets yeah. taken right out of your life? So, I mean, part of the reason I played Wyatt was economical. That's one less person you have to pay. And then the other reason is that I think a lot of the nostalgia comes from. Uh, so Billy, who played Colin, he and I used to spend the summer in Maine in that house together. Oh, oh damn. Wow. OK, wow. So like that was that was the other thing that was like we had a shared past in those locations. And the other thing was when we were really little, we actually hated each other. <laughs> his his mom and my mom have been best friends since kindergarten. Oh, wow. And his grandma and my grandma were best friends. Cool. So we're like third generation friends. That's wild. Yeah. But when we were little, we hated each other and we would fight all the time. Eight year olds getting into fist fights. You were just rehearsing wow. for. Yeah, we were just rehearsing together. <laughs> and, um, oh, my God. During that fight scene, when we ended up way off book. There was definitely like real tapped in feeling there that mm. I w- wasn't intentional at all. I wasn't, you know, I'm not like trying to do this kind of Kave Zahidi show about the show thing, like live your own life on film. But it, it was like just by virtue of like our shared past and our shared nostalgias. There was a point where I was like getting choked up while going off book and like screaming at him. <laughs> And um, and like he was too. like there was like a point where like I'm looking at his eyes and he's like tearing up. Part of your head is like, okay, just roll with it. Try not to pay attention to it. Just roll with it. Yeah, it's it's such a weird line of like, where have we crossed the line of like, this is no longer us at being two actors in a silly little mumblecore movie. And when has this turned into like, we're actually meaning the things that are coming out of our mouths? Is Billy a professional actor? He, oh, yeah. Yeah. And I am not. Okay. I was going to say, yeah. he was really good. He, he's really good. He's fantastic. He needs to be in a lot more things. <laughs> As do you. Oh, you were, no. See, uh, see that's my thing well. is I I am so thankful that I never have to act again because <laughs> I'm like sweating the whole time. I was just like, <laughs> I was like, I hate this so much. I don't want to have to be doing this. Having to do that on your directorial debut as well as writing. Yeah. It's just like, that's a lot, lot of things of, to, to work. juggle at work. once. I wanted to ask how you actually juggle all three of those roles uh, on set or on location as you're, as you're filming this. Like, are you with Drew trying to get the frame and, and you're kind of getting everybody's marks or whatever, and then you jump in yourself? Um, yeah, I mean, it started that way. It started as like, you know, I was working with Drew to kind of find the frame and all that kind of stuff. And by the end, it was really just, it, it was just Drew and I being on the same wavelength as we literally always are and being like, I, you, I know you know what I want. So just, you know, we don't have enough time to like <laughs> frame this up. I know you know what I want. You got to really trust your collaborators if you're going to do a small movie. That's, like that's, re- that's, I think what I would get at is like, it's at that point when you're juggling that many jobs, it just becomes trust. I love knowing that the Verite docu-style actually kind of um, is a little bit meta too, because it's, it is kind of a practical way of shooting this thing, but it also is a kind of a documentary of your own life like or at least as like this kind of documentary element if you want to yeah if you want to dig into it so i I just think that's a really 
it's a really lovely way to think about just the the making of this. A couple years removed from everything, I think if there's one thing I wish I did differently that really stands out, I wish I had gone even further in terms of that. Part of me wishes I that we had shot it on like mini DV. Because one of the things that we talked about in like conceptualizing the look of it was the idea of like what what do your home movies look like when your dad is shooting them mm-hmm. the idea was like the like the ghostly presence of the father and like their dad is mm-hmm. shooting them on a home movie so like that brings into like the eight millimeter bookends and all the little tiny little zooms uh that happen those were all feeding into this idea of like thinking about the way that suburban dads shoot home movies I'm just laughing because for us, we've been uh, we've been watching a few of those (laughs) and our dad chose to not even zoom in on us. But we were at Disney World and he's like recording the stage presentation. (laughs) There's about 45 minutes. So that is like so specific and so amazing. I love that, Chris. (laughs) Um, One question I had was, how did you go about casting? So it sounds like you already knew Billy, but like, were you like, he has to play this? You know, how, yeah. how was that process? That was as simple as just texting him. He's been in a lot of like no budget horror movies. And uh, he was uh, at the time really hungry for like, I don't want to say you can cut this out if this is too mean, but he but he said this to me. So, um, it, but he, he was like, yeah, I want to be in like an actual movie <laughs> and yeah, uh so we all want an opportunity yeah no he was really excited and totally and it, it had been so long since i'd talked to him at that point mm. i it had been years and wow. i just knew he was an actor and i mean it was one of those things where like when i was writing it it was him the whole time mm. partly partly because of our like shared past right. but partly because when you have no money you write to the things you have access to so you're just already right. limit like limiting your imagination because you just got to keep yeah. it realistic. Well, you're lucky you had such a talented friend. Yeah. <laughs> and now join us for a little segment we like to call Call Your Mom. We're going to call our mom because we love smooch and sweet. We're going to call our mom. I'm the doodle. Hello. Hi, mom. Hi, Mom. You got all three of us on the line. What's going on, my friend? We just recorded episode three with Chris Nicastro, the writer, director, and actor of Six Weeks to Twelve Years. Very cool, yeah. Do you remember when you showed up on set back uh, in 2019 with cookies? I think I brought cookies. I cookies everywhere, don't I? She brings cookies (laughs) everywhere. Uh, do you know you have a special like shout out at the end? You your name is in the credits under thank you. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Special thanks to Renee Serrano. I'm just finding this out. I could have bragged about this for so many years. That shows you you gotta watch credits all the way to the end. Your name might be listed. You you have a credit in a film before I have a credit in a film, Mom. Oh my <laughs> god. Send that to me. I want to share. 
Yeah. We got to talk about uh, social media here in a, in a little bit. <laughs> Mom, you know you've posted episode two like five times on your Instagram. <laughs> the same thing you've posted three times straight with zero context. <laughs> What's going on over there? So, Mom, you know how I'm going to Venice tomorrow for two weeks? Yeah. Oh, what's that about? Yeah, what's that What's that tone of voice? I'm jealous. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. What do you remember most from our family trip to Venice, Mom? I remember we were a, doll, a day late and a dollar short of seeing Andrea Bucelli. <laughs> I know. Yeah, that one will live on forever. I know, that was quite... Do you remember when we were walking around and there were like all the little old ladies were hanging their their bloomers out on the lines between the houses? Yeah, I got I some really good pictures of it because it's so colorful. They had some colorful budandis. As a 16-year-old, that was the first time I ever saw another woman's underwear, you know what I mean? <laughs> and do you remember, Bobby, you ate pizza every single night? We were back for like 14 nights. You just had a ball of cheese and bread stuck in your belly for a month <laughs> after that. <laughs> a lot of pizza was going in. Not a lot was coming out. Oh, boy. Um, so I think what we all really want to talk about because i've gotten a lot of comments about it are these second rate white lotus actors wait a minute wait a minute i was just at my hair okay if she watched white lotus and she said i just started watching it and i said did you notice the second rate actors they use (laughs) oh my god (laughs) But these actors, they're the one just won a Golden Globe. Guys, Connie Britton is probably like, she's in everything. I guess I shouldn't say second rate. I'm saying second tier, second tier, not second rate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I guess we'll never agree on this one. <laughs> Look at what happened with Jennifer Coolidge. She never got invited over her her neighbors' houses for parties, and now she is because she is now a first-rate movie star. Oh my god! Yep. I guess we're we're gonna have to agree to disagree on this one. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, we love chatting with you. I hope to see you soon and smooch you and tell you all about my trip to Venice. Smooch and squeeze. Oh my gosh! Thank you. I get to talk to all three of you at the same time. That is special. Anything uh, anything you want to tell the listeners before we, we sign off here? No. <laughs> okay, you're here. You're, 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 like you're hiding something. something to say. What are you hiding? <laughs> All three of you are so talented. 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 You're I so talented. So talented. <laughs> I'm your mom. You are gifted. And that this company <laughs> is amazing. You heard it. Heard you heard it first, that guys. Our mother thinks we're amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so you better agree with her. <laughs> I do. All right, I gotta go. Love you. Oh, bye, 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 bye. Can we talk about the pre-production process? You go through the Kickstarter, you get your financing, 
And how did the project change for you when you realized, okay, I have this set amount of money to work with. Did you have to change your vision at all in that script? No, because I, because I came to the 5,000 while, like, like beforehand, I, I, I came to the amount of money that I knew it was going to cost to pay people that I don't know to come work on this thing um, before I even launched the Kickstarter. And it was base. it basically ended up costing exactly what I thought it was going to cost. And it was all just, it was just transportation. It was uh, paying a really good sound guy who we didn't know at the time, but shout okay. out Jack Stratton, um, <laughs> who was the most professional person on that set by far. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and was just immediately like he and I, met after a couple phone calls just at a coffee shop just to go over the script and like what was needed for sound within minutes of like just hanging out with me and drew it was like we had known him for years i guess related to that it's a little bit like you're starting your own company and to make the company work you have to hire people that you like you know and not only people that you like but that other people around will get along with so it's like you really are doing like full-on job interviews with people and it's like, you know, you'll have people yeah. who are willing to do it and are, I'm sure, talented at what they do. But you talk to them on the phone and you're like, I don't think I would jive with you on a day to day basis, um, mm-hmm. which is something you no, learn for yeah. a 12 hour day. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. 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 The long days. <laughs> yeah. yeah. When you're when you're trying to, you know, uh, make tweaks on the fly and create a problem solve on yeah. the fly and people are cranky and you know, lunch is delayed or whatever. Well, like, actually, you, that you, was you the other people. thing was like we had a couple of friends who that's what they did pretty much on the day to day was like they went grocery shopping and made food for everyone. Damn. They were incredible. Right. Pretty, like, sweet. They, pretty sweet. It, it was it like I, I was not knowing what to expect. I like first day of shooting, I like gave the two of them my debit card and I was like, OK, uh just have lunch ready by like noon and we came back and it was like this gorgeous spread <laughs> of like nice. it just like home cooked food and i was like oh my god uh, this is beyond what i thought we were going to get out of this but yeah you don't want people hangry so that's yeah. an important role if you want to make a movie most important thing is feed your cast and crew they will not work for you if you do not feed them. It, it was actually one of the people who was cooking constantly was uh, Jake, who played chef. And he like apparently one night woke up in a daze at 2 a.m. And someone was like, where are you going? And he's like, oh, I just remembered I should make some hard boiled eggs for the morning. So like at two in the morning, he just like went downstairs and like made 20 hard boiled eggs. <laughs> and like, That's so yeah. nice. Gotta have that protein. Yeah. Can we just talk about something that made me laugh in the movie? Mm, let's yeah. talk about it. The car. Where? Whose car was that? <laughs> I was watching it and I was like, I was like, that is someone's car. So that was Billy's <laughs> actual car. That was Billy's actual car. <laughs> and oh <my> so, <laughs> so I texted him. Amazing. I texted him. I was like, well, well, no, we were actually in person. We were like rehearsing. He was like, is there anything you're worried about? And I was like, yeah, I'm trying to find like someone we can borrow a crappy car from. And he was like, <laughs> He literally says to me, he's like, how crappy does it need to be? It's like dinged up and like, so his parents had another car too, that 
had like hubcaps missing. And he was oh. he was like, does this work? And then he like scrolled through other pictures. He was like, or what about this one? <laughs> and oh, so, yeah, so that was his real car. And we. OK. <laughs> uh, so like that bungee cord to keep the trunk closed was real. Um, that was actually keeping the trunk closed. Um, <laughs> and he like he like drove us to like another location that one of the days that we were shooting in New York, the whole car just made like a grinding noise. Oh, you don't want to hear that. You, as you were just going like five miles an hour. Wow. Yeah. Hopefully no camera equipment or gear was in that trunk. Just like no. on the verge of yeah. flying through the bungee cord. No. I, I love all these little uh, all these little bits of evidence of like real life. Other real the life film. is uh, other real life is Oliver Oliver Parfit Helmsley. Colin, this is my husband Oliver. Oliver, this is Colin. <laughs> Parfit Helmsley. Oh, pleasure. <clears throat> I have heard all about you. Um, must be packing quite the punch Ooh. to have been shagging my wife as a kid. <clears throat> That's Oliver is <laughs> a very dry sense of humor. The so that is actually my friend James who is another one of those people who like speak to him and like everybody around you is like, what the fuck are you guys talking about? <laughs> Me and him and like a bunch of our other friends every night, two weeks straight, just went to the same diner until like four in the morning with no other purpose of being up that late than trying to make each other laugh. And one of the things that he came up with was a character named Oliver Parfit Helmsley, who's just like <laughs> an obnoxious British guy. <laughs> Can we fast forward to the editing process when I got I was editing on set a little bit doing some assistant editing work but when I got back to my apartment that's when I did some real editing and the way that I tackled it was I would edit okay this is scene six I'm going to edit it like it's a little three minute short film and then this is scene 10 edit that as like a four minute short film and by the end of it I put it all together until it was like an 80 minute sequence on my timeline I'm like oh shoot I got a film here and then you know we get to our V1. When you watched that first version all together and actually got to see the movie that we have to work with, what's that like? You know, they say that you write a film three times. You write it when you write it on paper. You write it again when you shoot it. And then you write it again when you edit it. And that's like the final writing of it. What was your initial reaction to like, oh, OK, this is what I have to actually work with now? Yeah, Um Initial reaction, and this is this has nothing to do with you. <laughs> it was it was I wanted to puke. Um, <laughs> yeah, I get it. I get it. And, like like this has nothing to do with <laughs> oh, you. No. Um, <laughs> it, uh, it has everything to do with like knowing everything that happened on the day. And and I've heard uh, you know like I assured myself by later like finding out from like directors I admire that they're like if you don't want to throw yourself off a bridge after the first rough cut, then you're in bad shape because you think way too highly of yourself. Um, <laughs> right. And um, then it just becomes, it just becomes refining it. it just becomes looking at everything a million times until your face turns blue. And like, I've watched this movie, I think 600 times. Yeah, oh yeah. And the other thing that like, I wish had been possible, um, but just wasn't given the constraints um, was I wish that we'd done two cameras mm. and I think I only ever would do a two cam setup in improv scenes um, from now on doing the take over and over again. You just find little bits that are just so funny. Like, where did that come from? Just like pulling things out of the ether and just I love that. Just like 
one of my favorite things in the movie is just something that on the day I didn't know was said and then finding it later, which was when Oliver says, and that's pounds, not U.S. dollars. That was in the script. But Billy's reaction when he when he just mumbles to himself. Christ, this place cost me four point eight million. And that's British pounds. That's not U.S. dollars. Say, how about I don't really know the difference. Billy's character, Colin, has this like there's this quick scene where we don't really have too much context, but he's on the beach by himself and he's kind of rehearsing this big speech that he's going to give to his brother, Wyatt. I remember I'd been in Philly for two years. I've been living in Philly for two years. You obviously don't really know what's going on. And then just a scene or two later, you you realize, oh, he was totally rehearsing the speech. How did how did you conceive of that? Was that something that that was found in the edit? That was not planned at all. That was a couple nights before we shot the actual fight. We were just doing a blocking test on the beach and Drew was rolling and Jack was rolling and Billy was actually rehearsing his lines. That's awesome. And then. AJ and I were both like, we need something between Chef and Chef coming back. Like, we need something between here. Like, it just feels so weird. Like, it just doesn't feel natural. We need something. And so just like going through like 40 hours of footage, we just looked at that and we were like, oh, shit. What if what if what if Colin isn't saying this in the moment? What if he practiced saying this to him? And yeah, so we put it in. I feel like it adds a lot to his character and just the whole story that he would practice. Yeah, that's 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 what we both felt like when AJ and I kept looking at that. We were both like he totally would do that. He would not know how to say this naturally to Wyatt. Mm -hmm. He would have to Mm -hmm. practice it. Everything that I love about the movie and everything that I'm proud about the movie, I didn't have a hand in, which I think is interesting. It's like you just have to let real life enter the frame how long did it take for you to be comfortable with the film kind of as something that is separate from you and something that you cannot touch anymore that you're that you're releasing into the world um i'm still not comfortable with it (laughs) oh no i i I don't think i ever will be i don't think anything i make i will ever be comfortable with it i think that's probably healthy yeah because like (laughs) I can't I can't look at the thing. It's it's not possible for me to even just look at it without being like, I should have done this. I should have done this. And, it be, and but I think that, I, yeah, I think that's healthy. I think if I were to do the exact same script again today, it would be a completely different movie. And I don't think I'm not to say like, oh, I hate this thing as an object. It's your first thing made for zero dollars. It's just practice. You're going to keep learning. You're going to keep doing different things. But it would be a completely different movie if I did it today. But I'm like, you know, in the process of possibly getting a much bigger project going this summer. And I found in the past three years that the naivety of having no idea what you're doing when you're making that first feature is what gets you through making it in the first place. Because you don't know what you're getting into. How hard it is. When you know what you're getting into, you're like... It's daunting. I I can't do that. (laughs) It's like, I mean, it's it's been like a bit of a handicap going forward trying to do things that are slightly bigger or even the same Mm -hmm. size. 
I, now I know what it takes. It takes 2 a.m. hard-boiled eggs, you know? It takes 2 a.m. hard-boiled eggs. And where are you going to get those? <laughs> and like, yeah, it's yeah. just like, it, yeah, it's just you know what it takes and you're sort of held back by that a little bit. And last question for me. What is a movie you've seen recently that you really have enjoyed? And oh, yeah. Let's you? get into movie that. movie that I've seen recently that I really enjoyed and has stuck with me? Shit. Um, oh God. Um, okay. I'm going to sound like a broken record to AJ probably, but, um, (laughs) uh, probably my all time favorite movie that I watched over the holidays is the apartment. Oh, I just, I love that movie so much. And Bob, you've never seen the apartment. No, I don't think so. Black and white. 1961. The one with the binoculars that, um, the one with Shia LaBeouf was Chris, Chris, please explain what the apartment is. That's, that's yeah. Rear Window. No, that's the one where Shia LaBeouf was based oh, on. Disturbia, but yeah. you're talking about Rear, Rear Window. Window. Yeah. Okay, Chris. Chris yeah, yeah. Give us yeah, a little yeah, yeah. synopsis about. Uh, yeah, the um, apartment is the apartment. Uh, Jack Lemon is like a low-level uh, insurance adjuster whose bosses use his apartment to uh, sleep with their mistresses, and Ooh, uh, saucy. a person, a person that Jack Lemon has a crush on, is sleeping with one of his bosses, Ooh. and uh, played. Played Shirley by Shirley McLean. Shirley so McLean. Yeah. So good. Not a wasted oh. word in the script. It's so good. It's just beautiful black oh, and white photography. Perfect Christmas time watch and just a, an expert balance of melancholy and funny. Must, it's a must watch. Oh. Yeah. Which is like everything that I chase in the stuff I try and make. Amazing. Well, I'm glad I asked. Thank you for joining us on Haunted Basement, the podcast. We're looking to make more of these. But in the meantime, you can check out hauntedbasement.video. You can watch the trailer for six weeks to 12 years, which I cut for this movie. It's available to watch online. You could rent it or buy it on Amazon. And um, Chris, thank you for joining us in the basement. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to your next one. We'll see you guys later. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.